Yeah. 
going to break the rules and start 14 seconds early. I hope you're okay with that. Uh, thank you for being here. This is the third annual Pep Talks, and we're always excited to be able to do this. Uh, Pep Talks, for those of you who have not been here before, uh, began three years ago with an idea, uh, a chance email to, to Mike Cope saying, hey, you know, we should bring some of the flavor of TED Talks to the Pepperdine Bible Lectures. And uh, he did the, the most preacher thing possible and said, good idea, you're in charge. And so here I am uh, in year three, and we're blessed to be able to do it. We have a great lineup of speakers who have been preparing this talk for close to six months. Uh, six months ago, we started looking for people who had something powerful to say about the Holy Spirit. And so we're, we're blessed to be able to have three individuals who rely on the Holy Spirit every day for the work that they do. Um, and, and I'm going to tell you, with some of the work that's happening here, none of this is possible without the work of the Holy Spirit. And so I praise God for everyone who's here. I praise God for our speakers. And I pray that as they uh, share their stories with you and their heart with you, that you would allow that to touch you and change you in some way. Uh, I heard a, a great story a few months ago. We had a guest speaker come out to, to my church in Redwood City, and he was one of our pep talk speakers last year. And I remember coming up to uh, his, his father, coincidentally, after a pep talk last year, and we had another individual speaking about healing. And this person's father was, was really bothered by what he heard because he felt like uh, the Bible didn't reinforce or support that stance on healing. And this person was excited to tell me that within six months, his dad had changed and flipped 180 degrees and was now completely uh, in agreement with what he heard and, and would have disagreed with himself. And so I think these conversations that come from nights like this are important for who we are because they're a chance for us as a people to hear fresh ideas, to go home and talk about it. And in Deuteronomy, you remember Moses' words to the people of Israel. He says, these commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts, and I want you to, to talk about them as you walk along the road. Um, that is the, the essence of what Pep Talks seeks to be. It's a conversation starter, something for you guys to get in your car and, and to, to go home tonight, wherever you might be going, and to talk about the things you heard and wrestle with them and let God's Holy Spirit challenge you and convict you in some way. And so for that, we praise God. A uh, couple of things worth pointing out. Uh, Pep Talks has a YouTube channel. If you have not been here before and would like to catch up on last year's talks, please look for us on YouTube. Uh, raise your hand if you've ever used YouTube before. Fantastic, almost 100% of you, great job. Okay, so if you also log in uh, after tonight, within a few days or weeks, whatever it might be, uh, we'll have tonight's talks up there and you can share those with your friends and with your family and uh, we're excited for that. So, without further ado, I am excited to announce uh, our first speaker is Bethany Jones. Uh, Bethany is a producer in Hollywood for True Crime. Some of you may have heard her lecture earlier today, but she works with Oxygen and Headline News and CNN and a number of other networks. Uh, most notably, she's had a busy week. How many of you have heard of the, the East Area Rapist or the Golden State Killer who just got caught? Well, she produced the, the five-part Headline News series that uh, just aired a couple weeks ago leading up to that. So the morning he was caught, she woke up to 55 texts and 120 emails. So without further ado, uh, Bethany Jones, we'd love to welcome you to come up.
being here and thanks for being with me. I spend my days in darkness. It means I don't need sunscreen. I...
trouble still continues, still continues. She's not getting back on track. She's not the kid with the trajectory they once had. 15, takes a gun, shoots a man execution style in the back of his head. Gets picked up by the police. How many of you would give her a second chance? You sitting. You want to know who the first person we're talking about is? Everyone's favorite cult leader, Charles Manson. Known for his headlines, forgotten for his trauma. I believe we're all just trying to get back to an Eden, an Eden that's spiritually in our own DNA, in our blood, in our soul, something that we're trying to reconnect to, this kind of primal desire to get back to what we once were before we were the person that we were in, before we were interrupted. But get back to that person, to that little boy, that little girl who had the hope, who had the faith, who had the journey. We're all just trying to get back and we're all just doing it in our own way. We all just want the same things. To be loved, to be respected, and for those that we love and respect to be loved and respected too. We all just do it in different ways. That's how come you have people killing other people. I'm not gonna talk to my family like that. I'm not gonna talk to my homie. No. No. I'm an artist. I believe art. I believe art captures the soul. I believe that art is rife within the Bible. You have David who danced before the Lord. You have the songs which are poetry. You have songs. You have music. You have so much art. You have all these ways to be connected beyond simply sitting down and listening. You have plays, you have theater, you have ways to connect. And the inmates I talk to, they're no different. They are expressing themselves in the exact same way that we want to be expressed. Because when people feel heard, they feel healed. But who has time to listen now anymore? Who is the time? We've lost our compassion, we've lost our way, we are so focused on things that are meaningless, you know? And we shun our responsibilities, and then we wonder why our cup is empty. Well, what are you filling your cup with anyway? Are you filling it with dirty water? So why we have this compassion fatigue? We're filling ourselves, we're watering our own spiritual roots with water that's dirty, it's contaminated, it's not clean, it's not good. If you had water from Flint, Michigan, would you offer it to a guest? And then we take that spiritual water and we try to water ourselves and then we say, oh, yeah, now I'm a spiritual person, come drink from my well. Gotta clean your water. You've got to have your spiritual water mill cleansing out the contaminants and cleansing out the pollutants of your soul and of your life, and you've got to continually do it. You can't do it once and expect it to be a lasting effect. It's daily. You have to wake up every morning with purpose. You have to wake up every morning, and you've got to put two feet on the floor and know what you're doing, what you're striving for, what's your end goal. 
Because a wish without a plan is just that, it's a wish. A wish with a plan is a goal and it's something we can strive towards. Who gets compassion fatigue? Well, mainly nurses, police officers, correctional officers, animal welfare, people in the abuse community, psychiatrists, therapists, counselors. Want to know who else? Preachers. They're tasked with your well-being, with your spiritual well-being. Want to know who else? True crime producers who have to sit there and sift through crime scene after crime scene after crime scene. Just to have people who put on a microwave dinner and then go on Facebook and trash your show and say, oh, you didn't have enough pictures. Did you think of the victims? Do you think they want to relive that? No, have some compassion. Put yourself in someone else's shoes. It's okay to remove yourself from yourself, to think about something beyond your own skin. When I walk into prison, when those doors open and I go behind those barbed wires and I'm closed in a cage with these individuals, I'm in a foreign land. I learn their language. I don't say, oh no, this is the language and the vocabulary I speak. You need to speak it with me. Oh, you who have lived a life that I don't know. Oh, you who have lived lives I wouldn't want to wish on anyone else. You, I go into these prisons, I go and I talk to these men, I go talk to these women, I go and I see them and I leave and it's draining. It's draining. It's exhausting. And then you get people who all they want is more, 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 more. And you have to set up the boundaries. You have to take care of yourself because no one's taking care of it for you. The only person who's going to do this is you. You have to put your plan in action. You have to make it work for you. You solely are responsible for your spiritual cleansing for making sure that you um, are becoming whole again. We're all just broken people in a broken system, in a broken world. And if there's a bomb in Gilead, and the best thing you can do is be your own Neosporin or Neosporin for someone, I think that's great. I think that's great. Heal in your own safe space. Heal at your church and your communities. Heal with your art. Heal in ways you didn't think possible. Go try something different. If it's not working for you, try something different. There's no blueprint. There's no blueprint when I go and I interview these people in, in the federal prisons or in state prisons. or I have to see what's going to work for that individual. What's being told to you might not work for you, and it's okay to plan something for yourself. It's okay to not subscribe to what everyone else is saying and thinking and doing. We're ambassadors of Christ. What does ambassador mean? They are someone who goes out into a community and into a culture that is not reflective of their own. How do you become an ambassador? You certainly don't leave college and the next day you're, you know, with the Department of Justice or Foreign Affairs. 
You work your way up to it. Maybe you're just starting out on this journey. Maybe you're just starting to try and connect to your community. You're a congresswoman, you're a congressman, you're a senator. The people in your communities or your constituents, how close are you to the problems? How far away? Do you know what the needs are? Do you know how to help them? You're not tasked with having an answer for everything. It's okay to say, I don't know. It's okay to have, to have time to think, to consider, to pray over it. The same people who are incarcerated and become institutionalized are the same people out here, the same people sitting in these seats. And we can become institutionalized in our own way by subscribing to a one-size-fits-all Christianity, spirituality mantra. No, no, we live in a world of choice, of abundance, of beauty. And when you begin to live in a world of abundance, of passion, of beauty, and you see the colors and the creation all around you, start to color your life with that. If your life is gray, God has Crayolas everywhere, in nature, in art, in people. Pick them up. Be someone's favorite blue crayon. Better yet, be your own favorite blue crayon. The people I interviewed, the people I meet, they were no one's crayons. They were the broken crayons discarded at the bottom of the box. Broken, broken crayons still color. It's okay to be the brightest and best color that you can, and it's okay if all you need is just a little bit more time, more space to build your compassion, to build you, and to build your hope. Thank you.
sacrificed your life so I could live. Now nothing is holding me back to you, Redeemer of my soul. Now nothing can hold me back from you, your love will never let me go. Back with my tribe here 
And uh, so thank you for welcoming me. And uh, just by means of transparency, uh, having been raised in the Church of Christ, God was everywhere in the home in which I was raised. But we never said a word about the Holy Spirit. And so as I began to prepare to be with you tonight, I, in, in honesty, felt like I had to say that, so I called my parents to, and so, so that they wouldn't feel dishonored. And I said, look, I, I've been asked to talk about the Holy Spirit, and we never talked about Him in our home. And, and my parents said, you're exactly right. Tell them that. And, and the reason why is because we didn't know. We, we, we didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit. And, and part of it is because there was something about church life that trained us to beware of people who knew a lot about the Holy Spirit. In fact, there was a, a friend of mine, who, a, a preacher, who was teaching a, a Bible class. And one of the men in his class invited a friend to come to the Bible class with him. And the topic of the class was Jesus. And the friend that he brought actually said this. He said, I don't know very much about Jesus, but I know a lot about the Holy Spirit. And he was the only one that didn't think that was strange. But, but we, we were taught somewhere in the, the, the paint maybe on the wall in the auditorium that, that there are people who know way too much about the Holy Spirit and we should be leery of them. And one of the ways that you know them is that they refer to him as the Holy Ghost. Now, if somebody talks about the Holy Ghost, that's when you know you've got somebody that you need to look out for there. One of the elders at the church where I serve was raised in a church like that. And that's all they talked about was the Holy Ghost. My friend was raised uh, on the mission field in Japan. And uh, they, they planted a church in Japan. And by the time he was eight or nine years old, he was fluent in Japanese. And so when they was probably 12 or 13 years old, they came back to the United States for the holidays to visit family. And one Sunday night when they were there, the church where the grandfather was the pastor had a Holy Ghost service. So the whole, the whole family went. So I, I don't know, in honesty, what happens at a Holy Ghost service. But they had one. And at the end of it, everybody who had not been filled with the Holy Spirit were called to the front to receive the, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And so my friend, he was 13, 12 or 13 years old, his parents nudged him on the shoulder and said, son, you need to go. So down to the front, he trudged. And when he got to the front, there were about 15 teenagers. And so they were instructed to put their hands in the air, almost like it was a holdup. And the grandfather, the old pastor, came along behind each one of them. And, and was laying hands on them and praying over them. And, and my friend said, it, it looked like some of his cousins got the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't, he didn't tell me what that meant. But he said he stood there for 30 minutes and there was nothing to happen. And so he started speaking Japanese. <laughs> and his grandfather busted him. No, no, no. And it made him stay there for a little bit longer. And, you know, I, I look at that and I think, you know, it's, it's, it's no wonder to me why all those churches are so small. You, 
you're not going to grow a church like that. But let me tell you about another friend of mine. This is a, a guy who's a minister at a church in London, and I was with him two weeks ago, and he shared this story with me. When he was in college, one of his friends shared the gospel with him, and he, he put his faith in Jesus and was baptized. And shortly after that, met a young lady, and they fell in love and got married. Well, his wife was from Poland, and English for her was a second language, not a first language. Polish was her first language. And so through the course of their early marriage, they both became frustrated that the depth of emotional connection that they both desired in their marriage, they were unable to attain. And so they both began to pray about that. And my friend said that he woke up one morning and he realized that he suddenly had the ability to read and write and think and dream and comprehend and speak fluent Polish and still can to this day. Now, it wasn't until about 10 years later that he accepted a job at a church in London. And do you know what the second most spoken language in London is? Polish. Isn't it handy to be able to speak a language to the people, the, the, the mother tongue of the people that you minister to? That's pretty handy. Now, when I tell that story, some of you say, that is so cool, and I wish that something like that would happen. And some of you think, I don't believe a word of it. And I'm okay with that. But I tell that story for two reasons. One is because when we hear stories like that, there's something inside all of us, I think, where we open our faith and we just begin to ask God for a little bit bigger prayers. God, would you do something like that for me? And let me tell you, it's a legal prayer. It's a very legal thing to pray. The second reason I tell you that is because in the Bible, and especially in the book of Acts, whenever the Holy Spirit is discussed, it is always to its core experiential. Always. There is, there is a, a fruit of it. It's, it's not a logical inference that happens because something else happened. A, therefore B. Huh? It is experiential. There, there are things that begin to happen in your life to which you can point and say, God did that. I'll just tell you right now, I didn't do that. God did that. I want to show this to you just in a couple of, of passages of Scripture. And in fact, two of the strangest Scriptures that I think there are in the Bible. And I may be pushing. There we go. All right, this is Acts 19. Now, Paul, we know Paul had a habit when he went to a town, he'd go to the synagogue to find believers. So Paul comes to Ephesus. And, and when he comes to Ephesus, he finds the believers there, and he asks a question that I have never heard a man ask. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, isn't that a strange question? And he expected them to know the answer. And they did. Here's their answer. No. We've not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. 
Now, the interesting thing is, is that the very next thing he does is ask about their baptism. Well, what baptism did you receive? Well, the baptism of John. He says, well, that's no good. That's a baptism of repentance. That's the wrong, wrong baptism. You need another baptism. So he baptized them in the name of Jesus. And then he laid his hands on them. And they received the Holy Spirit. Now, that may be offensive to us. That, they, that he laid their, his hands on them. But in, in Hebrews 5, that is called one of the elementary doctrines. Alright? We need to get acquainted with the laying on of hands. Here's, all right, here's the rest of Acts 19. Now here's another thing. There's some crazy stuff at the same time happening over in Samaria. So Peter and John go. Now look what happens over in Acts chapter 8. The apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God. They sent Peter and John. And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now be careful about this. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come along any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, is that strange? I mean, it, it, the, the first guys, at least they had the wrong baptism. Here's guys with, here, here's folks with the right baptism. No Holy Spirit. So Peter and John laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a crazy question to ask. And, and as I said, I have never heard a man ask this question. But I want to ask you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And if you did. How do you know? It was a question that Paul thought was important enough to ask. He didn't just assume. It was important enough that he asked the question. And when he asked, he expected that people would know. And in fact, they did. Some said, no, we didn't. Others had. It's a good question to ask. It may, in fact, be rooted in something that Jesus said. Now, this is... Uh, all right, I'm catching up with my PowerPoint here. John 20. So this is... There's a 40-day window of time, post-resurrection, pre-ascension. Okay? Jesus was on the earth for 40 days. And during that time, he did some pretty cool stuff. Okay? So, so there are two things... One recorded by John, the other by Luke, and I'm going to show you that in just a minute. Could have happened on the same day, in the same week, certainly in the same time period. This is the first one. So Jesus is with them, and here's what he says. He says, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, we're not starting a doctrine of breathing on people, all right? We're not going to do that. But it wouldn't be safe to say that when Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, that they received the Holy Spirit. I think that'd be safe to say. Now, this is the same time frame, Luke 24, beginning at verse 45. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. That'd be a good thing, wouldn't it? And he told them, this is what is written on the side of the supper and rise from the dead on the third day. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Beginning in Jerusalem, you're witnesses of these things. I'm going now. Here, here's, here's what you've got to look for. 
I'm going to send you what my father has promised. It was an Old Testament prophecy, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And so to Jesus, it's possible to have the Holy Spirit and yet not be clothed with power from on high. I hope you see that. It's, it's along the same crazy progression that you could believe in Jesus and not have the Holy Spirit. You could even believe in Jesus and have the right baptism and not have the Holy Spirit. So I ask you again, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? It's a good question, isn't it? My father one time preached a sermon. And if you're under 40, you will not remember this. And you may, in fact, deny it. But if you're over 40, you, you're going to remember this. He preached a sermon that the Holy Spirit is a person. Now, that may not be revelation to anybody here. But when he was finished, there was an old man in the church that came up to him to correct him and say, Now, Carl, you know, the Holy Spirit is the Scripture, and the Scripture is the Holy Spirit. And my father said, no, sir, I don't know that. And I don't believe that. And, and there has been something of a division in the churches of Christ ever since. Now, as, as I grew up, I would read the Bible and see a stark difference between what I read in my Bible and what I saw in my life. And I just wanted the Bible stuff. That's all I wanted. I just wanted the Bible stuff. And so I began to open myself to God in ways that I never had before. I began to study the scriptures. I, I learned the original languages. I learned how to study the Bible. I began to study the Bible for myself. Understanding that my whole life, I, I understood smarter men than me have, have told me what the truth is. And I just accepted that carte blanche. And I decided I would study these things out for myself. And I decided I believe everything's still on the table. The book of Acts still being written, I believe. Not adding the scripture, you know that, okay? Not going crazy here. But if it happened in the Bible, it's still on the table for today. And I came to that belief. And after that, I began to see miracle after miracle after. I've seen literally dozens and dozens of people healed who would have been dead today had God not touched their life. Now, I shared that story, some of those, some of those stories with my father when, when he was still an elder. And, and he, he asked me, he said, Marcus, how come those miracles don't happen at my church? And I said, Dad, what are the chances that this Sunday, at the end of the service, somebody is going to come to the front and ask the elders to anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord and pray for healing? And he said, there's not a single chance. And I said, Dad, that's the only reason why it won't happen. Because nobody's going to ask. And I wonder how many elderships have, have moved theologically and not told the people they serve. All we have to do is ask, and one of my pleas is that we build churches where God can be God. Where people can live their life and they can tell their stories without fear of rejection. 
where sick people can raise their hand and say, I need somebody to pray for me. In fact, those elders, those same elders, one of their wives got cancer just a couple of years after that. And they, she came to the elders, and the elders anointed her with oil in the name of the Lord, and God healed her, and she's still alive to this day. So there's an eldership that moved on theologically and, and maybe forgot to tell the church about it. You know, the main thing that the Holy Spirit does in the believer is exalt the Son of God. He doesn't come for one reason, and that's to give us tongues or prophecy. That's not all, all those things serve a different purpose, and that is the exaltation of Jesus Christ in the heart. So that we don't fear going to hell anymore. We, 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 we serve God because we love God, not because we're afraid of losing our salvation. How great would it be if, if everybody in the church actually had, had affectionate love for God in their hearts? Some do. Some just don't. But that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's my plea is that we build churches where that can happen. God bless you. song from Psalm 84.
I went to the doctor. Finally, in November, I found a concussion expert in the valley and made an appointment. That doctor led me through some impact tests, and I failed one of them. He asked if I needed a doctor's note, and I laughed. I said, for what? And he says, I need you to take two weeks off. I left his office knowing that would be not only hard for me, shall we just say impossible. Before this, I felt God's pursuit in this area of my life, where I felt the Lord wanted more of my time, more of my attention, and more of my focus. I run fast. I run a ministry. I do a few things on the side, manage my son's career, involved with soccer for my kids, have many other things with my daughter, Elise, and my wife, Jeanette. And I kept putting off the time to stop and just reconnect with the Lord. If I'm honest, I know that you make time for things that are important to you. I give men a hard time all the time who don't date their wives or spend time with their kids. You make time for things that matter. My desire for the Lord was more out of guilt, not want or passion on my end. In the past year, I've made time, though, to work out. I know you can't tell, but just bear with me here. Uh, I go to a girl's gym, it's called Orange Theory. But, uh, get splat points. Uh, one hour a day, three to five days a week. First time I've committed to anything like that. No one forced me to do it, but I do it because I want to. The more I do it, the more I see a change in my body and my health, and the more excited I get actually about even going. I see how it's working for me, so I continue. Going back to this concussion, did God give me a concussion? No. Does God do what he does to get our attention to slow us down and possibly refocus us? I believe so. I told my wife and a few friends on our team about my meeting with the doctor. And they all said, when are you going to do that? I said, later, maybe over Christmas. The first week of December, a new friend who I was just getting to know invited me to a private screening of the new movie, The Shack. I said yes, not having read the book myself. I heard so much about it, I was stoked to go see it. The movie was a pretty incredible picture of the Trinity, explained so well in a film. I left the movie that day thinking, maybe God's sending me a note to meet him at The Shack. And if you don't follow that, or if you haven't read the book, the main character gets a note from God in his mailbox that invites him to a place called the shack. He goes, and his eyes are open to things that he'd never seen or understood before. He goes on a healing journey to deal with some of his pain, his forgiveness issues, and blaming himself and God for the loss of his daughter. I think the movie does an excellent job of showing this journey, and there's a picture of where he meets God at the shack, but it's no longer a shack. It's no longer this beat-down shack. Instead, it's a garden and a glorious retreat. I left the movie not connecting the dots. They connect now, but they didn't then. It's funny how God does that. I believe he does it all the time in our lives, but we're too busy to catch it. We move too fast. We move from one thing to the other. We miss things that God's trying to show us because we simply just don't stop and let it sink in. So my family went to Oregon for a week right before between Christmas and the New Year. I thought that would be my perfect week to slow down. I'd have time there, but it turns out with the year-end reports, a book project that wasn't edited correctly, and before I knew it, one thing after another led to that time being away was anything but a peaceful break from work or stress. Then 2017 happened, and no signs that the first 15 days of this year would be giving me any sort of relief. Surprisingly, though, my symptoms went away. I was feeling much better, I went back to the gym, my usual routines, and then I told everyone, I don't need a two-week break now. 
didn't need that doctor's note. I do believe my symptoms are gone, and I say that with mixed emotions, because I feel like that was one way that the Lord was getting my attention. If I couldn't work, and I was forced to spend time with Him, because I had nothing else to do. It makes sense, though, that even though the Lord will never stop pursuing us, He wants me to meet Him there. So I headed off to the ABN Adult Expo on Tuesday, January 17, 2017. We have a ministry that does outreach to people in the porn industry. It's where we started our ministry in 2012. So for, I don't know, 17 years now, we've, we've been doing that. We had a great crew helping us out that year, making this week a bit easier for me. I didn't have to be at the booth all day, and in the middle of the day, I could cut away from work or meetings or whatever I wanted to do. Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday afternoon, I snuck out and I spent $35 for a day pass to the spa at the Cosmopolitan Hotel. I didn't feel bad about it. I didn't tell anyone where I was going. And I didn't go there to ex expecting what I actually got out of it. I like nice hotels. My friends joke that when I go to a city, I don't need to go outside. I'll eat at the hotel, stay at the hotel, maybe venture off to the church or somewhere else. Maybe you love the outdoors and the thought of a spa bores you. For me, this was quiet, still, and just me. I turned my cell phone off. I had my headphones with a playlist mix of worship music and pot of air. I just let that run the whole time. I sat in a jacuzzi. I sat in a steam room. I lied down on a lounger. I talked to no one. The quietness of the spa became a retreat on what would normally be one of the loudest and busiest weeks of the year for me. Yet I found stillness and rest. My eyes were opened. Verses I once memorized in high school for a grade came back to me in a different and more completely understanding. Mark 1.35 says very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus would slip away. Jesus would go somewhere for him. I sat on Wednesday afternoon looking at this view and I said to myself, why wouldn't I come here every day? I thought each day I need to find my retreat. Each day I need to find the place where I want to slip away. I said to the Lord, I'll see you back here on Thursday. Wednesday was amazing, taking two hours for the Lord and me in the middle of my day, in the middle of my week, in the middle of my Vegas trip was something profound. Thursday, all I could do was think about when am I going to get back here? 3 p.m. came on Thursday, and I was back. Same spot, same playlist, and more things were even clearer than they were the day before. But one thing changed. Thursday, I left my phone on vibrate. I respected the spa rules, and I didn't have my ringer on. But I thought if someone needed me, I would have to be available. But what I learned on Thursday was I shouldn't do to the Lord something I wouldn't do to someone who I was meeting with across the table. Now, maybe you are that person who can never shut down your phone, even when you're with someone face to face. Trust me, there's plenty of us out there. I try and be present when I'm with someone. I try and put my phone somewhere where I won't look at and won't be distracted. If I'm engaged in a conversation with someone, I try and be there with them. When you go meet with the Lord, why would you not have those same rules just because you can't see Him? I found myself getting distracted, answering an urgent text that led to checking an email that resulted in getting on base camp and then trying to hop back to my time with the Lord. Friday I went back, but I kept my phone on airplane mode. But Friday, I sensed a lot of the dots finally connecting for me. 
I found myself wanting to write things down, thoughts, ideas for the future, things I heard from the Lord, things I need to change, practices I need to implement. Friday's time was, for me, much more about taking what I received the two previous days and putting pen on paper, or in my case, on the notepad app on my phone. I started writing down most of what I just wrote. I saw how it all makes sense. I decided, though, to make some changes in my life. If I can find time to work out, something I still don't like to do, but I'm trying to do, why can't I find the time to slip away and meet with the Lord? Not because he was forced to spend time. It's crazy to think that Jesus did this. Not because he was forced to spend time with his father, but because he wanted to. One thing I learned is nothing changes if nothing changes. God doesn't want to meet you, meet with you out of obligation. God doesn't force your hand. What would happen if I did something I love every day? What would happen if I did something he loves every day? He loves time with you and me. I took a red-eye flight last night to Atlanta. Lots of these thoughts were slur swirling around my head, and now once I'm in my hotel room, I was able to get to my computer, and I started to figure out how this stuff looks for me. Now, this could look different for you. <coughs> for me, I like lists. I like some sense of order. I like knowing, going into a meeting, what is on our agenda. My friend who works with me comes down to town once a month. We meet once a month, but on Basecamp, this project management tool that we use, we have a running list of what we need to tackle during our time together. What we don't cover, we move to the next meeting. While we're in the meeting, we keep another list open of all the new ideas and the running tasks and the things we discover during our time together. Things we need to implement, change, or pursue. I figured if I'm going to try and meet with the Lord each day, how is this going to work? What's on my list? What do we need to tackle? Where are we going to meet? I don't have all those answers. Just a few more notes on how I'm going to do this. I'm going to find a place without distractions. I'm going to find somewhere I want to be. Bring a pen and a paper or my phone if I can handle not looking at anything else. I'm going to schedule it like I would schedule any other time at the gym or a meeting. For me, that means blocking it on iCal. Staying focused, for me, means music and having some sort of agenda. I wrote a topic for each day of the week. I'm not saying these are the only things that I want to talk to the Lord about, but it gave me a start and it gave me a focus. Mondays, my wife Jeanette. Tuesday, my son Nolan. Wednesday, my daughter Elise. Thursday, family and friends. Friday, me. Saturday, work. Psalms says, give your burdens to the Lord and he will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and to fall. We need to bring things to the Lord and ask for direction, guidance, and next steps. I've learned in the last 15 months, quit trying to make sense of it. Because he's the one orchestrating it all behind the scenes. Also, bring things to him you want guidance and answers for. Find your retreat, find your rest. I struggle with how to end this. I'm not sure if this is a talk, a blog, a book, or any of it, or none of these things. Maybe it's just for me, and maybe it's just a start. A renewal of things for me, a stirring. I don't know, but I'm excited to give it a go. I can't force you to do what I'm going to do. And I can't force you to spend time with the Lord, and neither will He. But that doesn't mean He isn't trying to get your attention, to get your time. 
and to get you, because that's all I want. I wrote that 15 months ago. I wish I would have learned this stuff 15 years ago. Uh, this journal that I finally took my 70 different pages of notes from my last 15 months, I finally tried to put it down and make sense of it. In here it has things that scare me, things that excite me, things that get me out of bed in the morning. It has things that are written down that are yet to come and it has several things written down with dates where I found answers and I've heard directly from the Lord. For me, it's been a 15-month journey. Over the last 42 years, probably the best 15-month journey with the Holy Spirit. I don't understand it. I've been a Christian since I was 7 years old, and I feel like it's finally starting to make sense that this spirit that is inside of us our helper he's available if we make ourselves available to him there's this song on my playlist I've listened to maybe a thousand times I don't know what it will do for you but I just ask that you shut your eyes and I just wanted to play it because as I pulled up this message from January 21st, 2017, in the background, as I read this, I hear the song called Heavenly Father. I ask that maybe just shut your eyes and think about what you've heard tonight. Think about maybe how to get to know whether you want to call him your Heavenly Father, the Holy Spirit, the Lord. Three and one. Go ahead and listen. Yeah, that's not it. That's definitely not it. I would know.
Let's give uh, Craig a round of applause. Thank you. And for our band with Linda and Doug and Ken, who have blessed us with their talent and their time, let's give them a round of applause as well. Thank you. As we close out tonight, I want to share this, this final thought with you. Uh, may we be a church that is open to the work of God's Holy Spirit. May we be a church that invites the Holy Spirit to change us and move us and compel us to be different tomorrow than we are today. May we continue to grow whether we're seven years old, 17 years old, or 70 years old. May we be open to who he is. I guarantee he's bigger than we realize. I guarantee he's bigger than we dreamed that he could be. And if the last 15 months can change a life that's been serving him for 35 years, imagine what the next 15 months can do for you. So that's my, my goal and my heart for you. The Holy Spirit calls some of us to go and talk to the, the least of these, those who are incarcerated, those who are shunned by society. He gives us gifts to be able to do that. For others, he calls us to have a different voice to share with a different tribe, but to be able to come back and challenge us to grow. And yet others, he calls us to go to porn shows, to write accountability software, and to step outside of our comfort zone and challenge us with the word to grow. So thank you all for being here tonight. Thank you for being a part of Pep Talks. Look forward to seeing you next year. Again, round of applause for everybody as we get played out.